I'm Steve Lascalzo, and this is The Way. Star Wars Celebration attendees got to see this episode much earlier than the rest of us, and some of us just couldn't resist looking into what happened. I think it's better that I did, honestly, because it blunted the effect that a certain rumor had on me when I read it more than a year ago. I was ready to tear apart this episode, and most of that was hurt and anger at what was only rumor. Well, it was a rumor that London's convention ended up confirming as truth. I was ready to let the hate flow. I know you would. I can feel your anger. It gives you focus. Makes you stronger. But you know what? Grogu makes everything okay. What? It's sad, isn't it? I mean, Grogu's cuteness overcomes all desire to make this feel more real for me. I mean, he is the droid we are all looking for. I imagined this walking, talking IG-11 that was interpreting Grogu's commands rather than this stripped-down version that we got. I thought we weren't going to see Grogu, we were just going to see IG-11, And then every once in a while, he'd pop out or we would see inside the hut or something. Uh, For a year, I've been hoping this rumor wasn't true. I thought, it's going to ruin the show. I mean, I was sure of it. This was Favreau trying to remind everyone, I made Iron Man and I can do whatever I want. Well, I waited, I watched, (laughs) and I laughed. Would you look at that? Yes. Yes what? Yes, 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 yes. I couldn't resist. I had to show it to my wife and my daughters before school this morning. I mean, everyone understands that scene. It's cute. But as a parent, I think parents get that much, much more than other people. All right, let's talk about the episode. The Disney snap is missing again. And I don't know why it appears before some episodes and not others. I could have sworn when I first watched it that it was there and I was like, oh, it's back. But just looking back for clips and stuff, it is not. And I didn't skip the previously on this week. But I think I set my expectations a little differently. You see, I had been watching the Star Wars Celebration content last week. Not just what was on the live streams. I was watching Reddit. I was trying to quickly capture every con-only trailer that made it onto YouTube or onto the internet. I wanted to record it as fast as I could before they ended up being taken down so I could go back and review them later. I wasn't out to spoil myself so much as report news later this month in our This Is The Way podcast Star Wars news update for April 2023. On that Star Wars Leaks Reddit thread, I was made aware attendees were going to get a sneak peek of the next episode of The Mandalorian. So, I knew exactly what I was going to see if I read the Mandalorian plot spoilers. And I read it anyway. I mean, I had to know. And then I saw the rumors were true. 
I was very angry. To be honest, I don't even know why. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. There was one missing component. It was actually watching the episode. And normally I'm very good, like, well, let's wait and see. Watch the episode first before you start to comment. But that news was so upsetting to me that I had already formed an opinion. But guess what? I was allowing myself to watch the episode, change my opinion. And I mean, it's not my favorite. I don't think it's the best yet, but it's pretty good. Rick Famuyiwa does a great job. We're making a series that's connected, but we're all each been given the, the freedom and the creativity to tell a story as we would making a feature film. I liked seeing a little bit more of the seedy parts of Coruscant. Elia Kane going for her clandestine meeting. I mean, we get our answer right away in chapter 23. Whose side is she on? Who does number two work for? Kane is on the Imperial side. She is proto First Order officer material. I was surprised that Gideon needed her to tell him that the pirates failed. I mean, it seems like him being rescued by whoever it was that got him off the Lambda shuttle could have easily heard that somehow. I mean, he's free, uh, at least on that base. It wasn't like he was going anywhere else. So I don't know how he just didn't hear that from somewhere else. I think this was more of a scene that shows us, okay, they are existing at all levels of the New Republic, and they uh, they have their fingers everywhere, they have ears everywhere, eyes everywhere, and it's also, I think, to show us the magnetic storms are part of the nascent First Order presence on Mandalore. I mean, we've heard the planet was cursed in Season 3, Episode 2. You know, on Din's arrival, we heard... Oh, communication from the surface isn't possible. Except it is. If you know how, of course. Gideon is absolutely able to communicate all the way to Coruscant, but I think that's because they have Imperial Tech, a la the probe droid, which lets that function. I mean, it can communicate from deep space, and I guess through a magnetic storm. I mean, I think that's exactly why we see Kane meet the probe droid in this dark alley because doing so in public or somewhere people would know hey they still have imperial tech what's what's going on here so that that explains a lot i love seeing weird nonsensical tech like this like i mean why are these mando troopers loyal to gideon standing where they are it just makes no sense but it looks cool, right? Why is there this uh, series of doors? I mean, is it a callback to the Phantom Menace or something? I mean, but if you just had these guys standing around in a hallway with <laughs> no handrails, I, I mean, it just, we, there's weird security protocols in the middle of nowhere. It just makes no sense, but it looks cool. The boardroom scene looked cool too, but I think the, there was way too much dialogue. I mean, this had to be Filoni trying to, you know, sneak things in. The acting wasn't very good either. I mean, I liked what was being revealed in the dialogue, Thrawn and the Project Necromancer and stuff like that. 
But I just, I kept finding myself distracted by bad line readings. We shall be rid of the Mandalorians once and for all. Long live the Empire! Long live the Empire! Let's be fair, it wasn't just Giancarlo Esposito, but that one line did take us into the title card, and The Spies is the title, and I am at a loss figuring out the reference. Some people online think they've already got it figured out, but, it, you know, all right, so Kane, definitely a spy. There's one, but are we talking Karga? The Armorer? The Stranded Clan? Axe woes. I mean, I can only assume that this is going to be made clear after chapter 24, but I don't think we have a clear answer at who it is. Some people are inferring it is the armorer, but you know, she wouldn't be safe on the fleet. And what are her motivations for doing this? Especially with Paz Vizsla sacrificing himself. I mean, we saw in the Book of Boba Fett, it was just those two for a little while existing on their own it seems like he would have been in on it and i don't think i mean i think if anybody would have been captured he would have been the one to be captured i don't know why they're so obsessed with capturing din Jaren. what possible motivation unless unless the armor says the way to get bo katan to cooperate is you know maybe the armor knows she's in love with him that could be the only thing I can think of, but she's willing to sacrifice Paz Vizsla for that? Just seems a little suspect to me. Do you like him? Do I like him? Don't worry, he's safe. You're sure? Well, the Enzelin stripped IG down to his base motor functions. They removed his memory circuit. The pilot provides cognition. Yes. The payoff for the very early work in the season of the Anzellans. I mean, they were called in to do something, and as I mentioned, something I dreaded. But as soon as Grogu started mashing those buttons, how can you not laugh? I mean, it is almost silly how likable Grogu is to me. I liked that there was this sense of Grogu getting a little independence it's almost like moving from the baby plant uh, at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy into a teenage Groot. Um, you know, so now all of a sudden, now he's got legs. And, he, you know, it's almost like he's he's got his first, the car keys or something like that. But he's also not able to talk. And now we have this binary system. Yes, no, yes, no. Which was very, very funny. Grogu is too young to operate heavy machinery. Maybe when he's older. No. What do you mean, no? No. I think he's saying he's old enough to operate it. Yes. Mm -mm. Get him out of there. No. No, at least let him try it out in my office. Yes. Uh, I thought the tension between the Mandalorian factions was good. I thought it was also eased appropriately. And I mean, I couldn't help but smile. You know, you hear, oh, let's have a feast. And then you see the foundling chicks roasting on the spit and then half the group is eating with their helmets off 
And the other half is just, you're like, are they going to take their helmet? No, no, they're just going to sit there and watch. That was kind of funny. And Bo-Katan, remember, she called the raptors foundlings. So they're roasting Bo-Katan's foundlings. Welcome, fellow Mandalorians. We invite you to make camp. Let us prepare a feast for our guests. During the call to arms... Now, I'll have to go back and make sure, but I think... Doesn't Din Djarin volunteer Grogu to come on the reconnaissance? I mean, I know they assume it's going to be completely safe, especially with greater numbers, but he knows it's not completely safe. There was that thing that captured him. There were those creatures. They're, they have to suspect that there are more dangers. And if they're being careful... Why not just leave him in orbit with the other foundlings? I mean, he gets new legs and then suddenly he's good to go. Plus, the pram came in handy last time. The, you know, there were some slow falls that were possible with the pram. And then when he was flying back to the N1, he climbed a, a great height with that pram. I know, he uses the force, but there's no blast shield in front of him. And he's just starting to use this thing. So being able to fall or something like that and then use the force at the same time you're controlling seems like you'd have to be have a little bit more practice. But even better, if he stays with the fleet, then him coming to the rescue later is a, you know, a, a bigger excitement. Like, oh, now he's coming to save the day. They're Mandalorians. Is that the voice of Lady Bo-Katan Creed? It is. I really liked that land skimming ship, but wow, there are Mandalorians that have been hanging out since the purge. I get that the ones that went exploring below were lost, but they didn't see Imperial ships coming and going at all. Maybe the implication is, though, that some did, and that's why they went exploring. And maybe some of the stormtroopers are those remnants that went missing and then they turned i mean the ship looked cool though I, it, I i liked the scenes on it i liked the chess looking game and the fight that breaks out i liked grogu being the one to step in it worked for me at least because grogu works on me so you know <laughs> if it works on me a viewer i feel like it should work his cuteness should work in universe as well the survivors probably should have mentioned, though, that there are these giant monsters around. I can't imagine that they've never come... I mean, as long as they've been there, they've never come across this giant monster before. Was this one of those dormant monsters kept hidden by, you know, just the fact that there was this large civilization, and now it's revealed because no one has been there to fight it? It just seems a little too big to never have been referenced before, and I do not think that this is a mythosaur. Also, when the survivor said, we're going to lead you to the forge, I couldn't help but think, it's a trap! I mean, it was a trap. But I guess it wasn't their trap? Or maybe we end up finding it was their trap and their spies. I don't think so, but it is kind of weird. Like, we'll show you to the forge, and then we'll 
suddenly that there's these people that come out and attack. I mean, the battles were good. It was fun to watch. But a lot of the blasts seemed to get through the armor. I, I was watching and thinking about it. I guess it makes sense. Okay, the real Mandalorians know that there's these weaknesses of the armor, and so maybe they're targeting them. And I didn't like that the Mandalorians fell for this chase. You know, first they're attacked, and then they're on the run, but then they're also launching an offensive. But there's a reason that that tactic has worked in warfare for millennia. I mean, it's because it's kind of human nature. In fact, I'll say this. If they hadn't chased them down, people probably would complain, well, why did they let them go? Why didn't they chase them off and finish them, finish off this threat? I liked Gideon's gear. It was cool. Yes, it's definitely an homage to Vader. I just don't imagine that he knew Maul, but he does have the Maul Death Watch horns on the helmet. And that's something I'm really interested in seeing explained. The, the outfit, though, it has to be an homage to Vader, right? But is that helmet... A tip about the armorer's loyalties. It's it's definitely a question I think we need answered, and I can't imagine they leave it unanswered after chapter 24. Thank you for gathering the Mandalorians into one place. You were a talented people, but your time has passed. However, as you can see, Mandalore will live on in me. Gideon thanks Din for gathering the remnants for him, but we just saw the armorer suddenly tap Bo-Katan to do just that. Gideon demanding the saber that pays off that part earlier in the episode where she admits, Bo-Katan does, where I had a part in the surrender of Mandalore. So I would have liked, instead of you know her just refusing to give it up, I would have liked to see her pretend to give it back to him and then attack. But what we're left with is definitely setting up a big battle in the finale. I thought it was great that we got to see her actually cut through the blast door with it, the Darksaber. That's something we, we sometimes see started, but not finished. And I couldn't help notice, after Thrawn was name-dropped, uh, and, and Snoke and Palpatine were basically hinted at, that Gideon's not really a contrast to Thrawn. He's got a different method for the same goal. Thrawn is renowned for studying cultures to conquer and dominate them. While Gideon is observing, here it's the Mandalorian culture, and he's stealing what he says. He says he steals the best attributes. Well, it doesn't say steal. He says he takes the best attributes of a culture and then makes them his own and use them to his own ends. So, same goal. Different methods. I wonder if the myth of the curse was an intentional misinformation campaign, or was it maybe just a happy accident that he ended up capitalizing upon? And as the Mandalorians were rushing in, I think everybody noticed the architectural style. It was hard not to notice. So I guess <laughs> that's something, you know, that architectural style is something they really drive home at the Imperial Academy or something. Because as soon as they were running through the halls, it was like, oh, this looks very Imperial. And you couldn't help but notice, oh, they're inside a base. In the end, two foundlings lose father figures. 
Grogu might still mount a rescue for Daddy Din, but there is no saving the heroics of Jon Favreau or Paz Vizsla. I mean, does Ragnar now become an orphan, or does he have a mommy? I mean, he has to have a mom some at some point, but is his mom gone, or, or what? I liked the heroic stand, but I don't like him losing to the Praetorian Guard. Uh, I, I, it's not that I can't have any of the sequels, and I, I liked The Force Awakens, and they were mentioned in the Imperial Hologram boardroom scene, and they appear at the end, but to me, they've always been, that should have been the Knights of Ren, or something like that. I mean, especially not getting a lot of them, and then seeing them in The Rise of Skywalker was almost seemed like an afterthought, but these Praetorian Guards seem way overpowered. And now they feel a little less special to me if Gideon is command. I can't explain why. I just didn't like that they come in and are so effective. Now, if they get beat or even pushed back later, I wonder why it was so difficult in the uh, throne room of Snoke to defeat them. I mean, it was a it was a terrific battle there, but they just seem less special now. One episode remains. I liked what we got, and I don't mind the cliffhanger, but a lot needs to happen still in the finale, or else we're going to leave the season a little unsatisfied. I mean, if this is merely a setup for season four, or for a film wrap-up, the one that Filoni is going to be directing, I'm just not going to be as excited for the future of the show. Those are my initial thoughts on season three, episode seven of The Mandalorian. What do you think? Yeah, well, what do you think? Send in your thoughts. Here's one from YouTube last week. Star Oceans commented on our Guns for Hire First Impressions podcast, saying, As far as I'm concerned, the best part was Bo getting the Darksaber back, something she deserves and earned. The rest of it felt too sidelined as a story, Unrelated like Alice in Wonderland. I don't disagree. Bo-Katan did deserve the ownership of the blade, and I don't mind that she gave it back to Din after saving him, and I don't mind that she didn't challenge him for it at all. The episode, well, the last episode, wasn't written or put together particularly well, in my opinion, and I agree. The Alice in Wonderland elements were noticeable, And I think I mentioned in the discussion podcast that the whole episode, well, the middle of the episode there, felt like a side quest chain in an MMORPG. So great comment, and thank you very much to the user Star Oceans. If you have thoughts on this episode, let me know. Social media is a great way. You can find out where to find all our social media contacts by checking out our list of links at Linktree. That's L-I-N-K tr dot ee forward slash this is the way pod thanks for listening to this is the way podcasts first impressions of season three episode seven of the mandalorian the spies i'm your host steve lascalzo may the force be with you always always